when men stand strong. Rubbish. <laughs> For the past week, the men in this church have been all over the place. <laughs> Standing strong. <laughs> hmm. Me more than most. <sighs> May God, who puts all things together, makes all things whole, who made a lasting mark through the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice of blood that sealed the eternal covenant, who led Jesus, our great shepherd, up and alive from the dead, now put you together, provide you with everything you need to please him. Make us into what gives him most pleasure by means of the sacrifice of Jesus, the Messiah. All glory to Jesus forever and always. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Hebrews 13, that was a bit of it. This is the last chapter of Hebrews. Uh, I know, it seems like only last year <laughs> we started this book. But what a journey, eh? What a journey. It's been a journey of revelation for many of us, a journey of challenge, a journey of uh, struggle. You know it's good to struggle? You know that, right? feels rubbish when you are struggling, but it's good to struggle. And I've been struggling this week. <laughs> I've been wobbling this week. I've been very shaky this week. But I've been assured. <laughs> I've been assured by God and David Vickers <laughs> that it's good. That it's good. <laughs> yeah. Team Vickers. I've been assured that it's good, and I have an assurance that it's good. You know, I need to, I need to uh, be shaken up. <laughs> but anyway, where we live, there's loads of public buildings, right? By that, I mean big buildings that are open to the public, but you probably knew that already like our church, like a pub, like a library. And many of these public buildings are um, really nice <laughs> uh, and public and built. <laughs> but when I, when I... Yes, come on. <laughs> you see, this is the bit I actually planned. <laughs> Last night, my notes disappeared. I was all over the place. This is the plan bit, all right? So, but anyway, public buildings. What I like to do when I visit public buildings is... Um, <laughs> okay. I'll turn this into a question. What's the cleanest part of a public building? The cleanest part. The reception room, yeah? No. 
The cleanest part of a public building is the door handle on the inside of a public toilet. I'm always struck by this when I'm leaving. I went to the toilet before. You didn't need to know that, but I'm always struck by, as I leave a toilet, that door handle or the metal bar that you push is the cleanest part of a public building. Why? Because everyone who touches it has just washed their hands really thoroughly with soap and hot water. So I always, I always have an assurance that that part of the public building, at least, is completely, well, 99.9, .9, as it says on Domestos bottles, germ-free. So sometimes, with that assurance, I like to just kind of rub my face against it. No, I don't do that. In theory, that's true, yeah? In theory. In reality, why is it not perhaps true? Nobody else. Nobody else? Well, I do, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel said nobody washes their hands. You see, there's a gap. There's a gap between my uh, naive assumption and the reality. There's a gap between what should be the case and the reality. And God's been talking to me this week and last week and the week before, about gaps. You see, a lot of us have been coming to church for years, and we've heard so much teaching, haven't we? So much teaching. Sometimes we hear the same thing over and over again. So we should be leaving, a bit like somebody with squeaky clean hands, we should be leaving just the best Christians ever, shouldn't we? You know, we should know the Bible inside out. We should just be, yeah, yeah, as some of you are, but um, I've started to realize that I'm not. <laughs> There's a gap between everything I've heard about God yeah. and everything I do in everyday life. There's a gap. There's a gap between, historically, there's been a gap between us and God. You see, the, 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 the period of time that we now call Old Covenant, there was a time where we, in a way, separated ourselves from God by kind of having a manual instead of Emmanuel. Oh, that's quite clever. <laughs> that wasn't part of the plan. By that I mean we, we created a set of rules and, and regu it wasn't that funny. And regulations, we set, created a set of rules and regulations that came with consequences, that came with punishment. You see, punishment came about because we needed to control and make sure everybody played by the rules. And if you don't, then there's consequences. And because we really feel, I'm talking historically, about humankind, we really feel the need to enforce our rules and regulations, we have to make up um, harsher and harsher punishments to just make sure everybody toes the line. You visit some countries still today that have this code that says, if you commit a crime that is very harsh, we will make sure the punishment is even harsher. Therefore, you won't commit the crime. You know, it's that kind of chop your hand off if you're caught stealing an apple. 
um, approach to life. It's all about control. And uh, I would like to think that we, we have moved on from that. I'd like to think that because God, through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, has, has, has closed that gap between us and God. And He has. That's the truth, isn't it? And this is kind of one of the themes of Hebrews, that, that in the new covenant, there is no longer a gap between how we live as Christians and how God interacts with us or doesn't interact with us. There's no longer a gap. Yet why does it feel like in everyday life that there is? And that's the reality. So there's, there's even a gap between the truth and our position in God and the reality of our experience every day. Or is it just me? Perhaps it is. I told this story last night, and I'll tell it again. My, my, one of my earliest realizations of how we are still kind of bound by rules and regulations and punishments was when I was seven, and I moved up to the northeast of England for the first time from a little, tiny, beautiful farm cottage in Devon. Um, <laughs> that's <Yeah>. true. <laughs> and I moved to Fenham. Thanks, Mum and Dad. <laughs> um, so we moved to the Northeast, and it's a massive culture shock. We didn't even have a house at first. We lived for two or three months. We, um, you know, I moved, I moved to Fenham, and it's the first time I've ever, um, I think it's possibly the first time I've ever seen people from other countries, you know, other walks. Of, in Devon, it's still like that. Um, and we, we end up living, kind of squatting, uh, but with permission, oh, that's living, isn't it? Um, living with uh, an Egyptian family for a couple of months. And it's, it's, you know, it's really unsettling for little kids to, to have to do that. So um, that kind of af af affected our behavior, I think. We, we became a bit, bit hard to handle. And one of my memories of this is when we, f when we kind of, during the time we first got our house on Wingrove Road, um, there were three bedrooms. There was a girl's room, a boy's room, and mum and dad's room. Um, I think there's probably five or maybe six of us siblings at the time. I lose count because I'm from a massive family. Um, so there were a few of us. There were two boys and three girls, perhaps. And uh, we, for some reason, we weren't allowed in the girl's room. We were only little. I, I don't know why that was, but that was one of the rules and regulations. Now, we very quickly broke that rule, and um, I, I've just got this memory of my brother and I being in the girls' room and just messing about, you know, playing with our sisters and stuff, but it just got a bit out of hand, and my brother ended up um, slapping one of my sisters. It was my brother. Take note. It was my brother. <laughs> and my sister who's still a bit of a princess now, um, <laughs> started going completely over the top with her screams and, you know, deliberately, deliberately, to, so my dad could hear sisters. And um, not that I'm defending my brother, you know, he shouldn't have done that, but um, honestly, she was like a Premier League footballer, the way she was going on, you know, <laughs> screaming and rolling around, Dad, Dad! You know, and sure enough, my dad came rushing up the stairs, burst into the girls' room, saw me, 
my brother was somehow behind the door when he burst in, saw me, saw my sister screaming, and gave me an almighty whack on the backside. It's not fair, is it? No, no. I'm not, I'm not uh, nothing against my dad, you know, um, but um, when, he, when he realized he'd hit the wrong person, he got really remorseful, and um, I got really kind of, you know, I, I explained to him in my seven-year-old way that that wasn't fair and he, he should have hit Nick and it wasn't me and that really hurts. Um, and my dad said, and he's never said this again since, I kind of wish he did, he said, I'm really sorry and I'll tell you what, next time you do something naughty, um, I won't smack you or punish you. <laughs> it's like, hmm. To a seven-year-old, that's like, wow, this is a whole new world of, of opportunity. And I'd like to say I, I'm still yet to cash in on that, but, but wouldn't it be great for a 46-year-old to one day do a heinous crime and then, no, it probably wouldn't be great. My, the, so I got plotting, um, probably because, you know, at the time, disrupted kind of upbringing and I was a bit naughty anyway but I thought right okay what's the not necessarily the worst thing I can do like rob a bank or something but what's the most kind of amazing like outrageous thing I can do that will definitely get my dad cross with me and then there'll be a time where he thinks oh whoa, can't touch him remember the rules so I planned I planned um we lived on Wingrove Road. I don't know if you know Fenham, but um, at the time it backed on to Sacred Heart playing fields. And there were some big trees in those playing fields, including some sycamore trees. Now, I didn't know much about trees, but I knew what a sycamore tree was like because it, it's got those helicopter seeds, yeah? And it must have been around the time of year when there were lots of them on the ground. So I went, I was just playing in the field, and I decided to, I was throwing them and enjoying that sort of, you know, that mini science lesson. And I went back home and got a bucket and filled, filled the bucket with sycamore seeds. There were loads of them, hundreds of them. Then I took them, this was my plan, <laughs> I took them back into the house and into our backyard. And our backyard in Fenham had really high walls, but we had a raised bed. So I could climb onto the raised bed and then somehow got onto the wall, okay? And I balanced myself on the wall because there's a lamppost just beside the corner of, of the wall. I, I saw it two weeks ago, actually, and it reminded me of the whole thing. That's probably why I'm telling you now. Uh, the lamppost is still there. And I used that to kind of position myself and put the bucket. And I sat on that wall for ages, well, seven-year-old ages, probably two minutes or something, until somebody came along the path. And it was... Uh, it was quite a windy day, I remember, because people used to come around the corner and be kind of struck by the wind, and this old man was really, like, struggling against the wind. And he was a proper old man, you know, walking stick, slow movements, like a cartoon old man. Uh, and I thought, perfect. So I waited, and, and I even timed it with the wind. Now I'm, I'm embellishing the story now. Um, I waited until he was underneath the wall. He hadn't seen me. He was so busy kind of trying to make his way along the path. Very little empathy from me at the time. I tipped the bucket of sycamore seeds completely over this man. And, uh, and it was fantastic. That's not the point of this sermon, by the way. Cruelty to old people. But it was fantastic in that 
Um, the wind just whipped up these sycamore seeds and they took absolutely ages to settle. Uh, so did the man, actually. <laughs> and he was just in this, in this world of fear and, you know, confusion for ages. And he was swiping and trying to get them up. You know, he thought he was being attacked by a swarm of bees or something. And eventually, when he settled a bit and the, and the thing settled, he, he saw me on the wall, you know, feeling a mixture of fear and, and absolute excitement and wonder. Um, and I knew what was coming next. It was part of my plan. I knew he would go round to the front door, knock on it and complain, which he did. And he told my dad, and I heard my dad, he's done what? <laughs> and then I heard him coming through to the, to the backyard. I was just slowly, you know, timing it right, slowly climbing down the wall, all kind of smug, a little bit of fear, because I, I didn't quite know if my dad had remembered the rule, you know. And he was, sure enough, about to punish me. And I said, Dad, do you remember what you said? You said that, I, you know, next time I was naughty, that you wouldn't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and there was just kind of like this force field that, that got between him and me, you know, he's kind of like, but you know. <laughs> and he, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. And that was it. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> he was long gone by then, surely. Um, but that story, just kind of as I remembered it, apart from feeling a little bit bad for doing that, it just, rem it just kind of brought to mind what we do in our society in terms of, you know, this is the rule. You don't need an explanation why this is the rule. It's just the rule. Boys in the boys' room, girls in the girls' room. I know you're the same family and you've grown up together. You know, that's the rule. If you break the rule, there'll be a punishment. I haven't thought of the punishment yet, but it'll be horrible and more horrible than, you know. That's what we do in our society still and we're out of the old covenant. I'm not saying that we get rid of all rules. I guess I'm saying um, there's a gap between our hearts and God's heart uh, for this new and eternal, everlasting covenant that he's made with us and the reality of life on this, on this planet and in our society. There's a gap, isn't there? Still, we still live with this, almost this obsession with crime and, and punishment. You know, I hear in the workplace, um, I'm involved in, in education, particularly primary education, and I hear um, just when people are talking about society and, and schools and, and certain schools where the, the, the naughtiest kids go, that, you know, you hear comments about, well, you know, they should be, they, sh they should um, kind of get more punishment than that, you know, they, they seem to get off the hook, you know, these kids, they're really badly behaved, and they get put in this school, and then they get, there's no rules, no punishments, no discipline, you know, oh, no discipline, and we're still obsessed with this, this kind of, this model that says, if you do, so, if you step out of line, you're going to get something worse than the actual step, you know, this punishment will be worse to make sure you never do it again. We're obsessed with punishment. I've been a bit of a uh, bit of a mess this week. A bit of a mess in that um, I'm I'm starting to struggle, um, and I'm starting to learn stuff. And I hate learning stuff. You know, I'm 46. Shouldn't be learning stuff anymore, but I am. God's teaching me. 
Um, <laughs> that almost sounded like it's about time, didn't it? <laughs> Halle blooming Lulia. <laughs> but quite seriously, quite seriously, I am um, going. I, I'm going through a time with God. I'm going through a time with Beth. Uh, I, I'm I'm being shaken up a bit. No more hallelujahs, please. Because <laughs> it's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. It's, I found it last, last night very uncomfortable to stand in front of people and, and talk about this. Um, just because I've done it once before doesn't make it any easier. I'll tell you that now. So I want to share with you a couple of things I'm, I'm, I'm struggling through and learning. Because um, apparently that's being honest. This is my default, sorry, just the sarcasm in there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, on Sunday, there was, uh, we had our church service. It was all great, you know, singing songs about stuff that I may or may not um, live my life that way. <laughs> you know, we've got fire extinguishers, fire exits, and we sing, send your fire. And, and I'm thinking... <laughs> How does that work? You, that sort of thing. That's how I think, anyway. And there was, there was, a, there was kind of a, a moment where somebody was talking about if you want breakthrough, if you want breakthrough in your life, just come to the front. Obviously, I couldn't because I was playing bass. You know, I had a role, so I couldn't respond to that. Or so I thought. And then I had a real stirring. And God was obviously prompting me to respond. I didn't know what I wanted breakthrough in. Um, I felt pretty, pretty broken through, if you know what I mean. But I responded anyway, because God told me to. So I put my bass down, and I start to walk down here. And uh, my wonderful friends, Mark and Rebecca, were coming to the front at the same time. I don't know if it's because they saw the grumpy bass player coming down to the front, or they were just coming to be lovely anyway, but they they got a hold of me and started praying for me. And I think I said to them that it was relationship that I wanted breakthrough in. Okay, that's all I said, I think. Um, so between there and there, it had occurred to me what I wanted breakthrough in, and it was relationship. And that was all. Um, and God, God kind of put me on the floor for a bit which is always strange, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, it's an amazing sensation from my experience to be kind of cocooned with nothing else other than God just pouring his love over you. And I love that. Sometimes I feel I could stay like that forever. It's kind of the other bits that get a bit weird when your own thoughts kick back in and you think, I wish I hadn't worn those jeans that fall down quite easily. <laughs> you know, that sort of thought. Or... <laughs> Or will I look stupid if I stay here for, for longer? Or get up now? Or, you know, what's the, what's the etiquette? Um, so I started having all those thoughts. And God, God spoke to me because I started to question what, what the breakthrough actually meant. You know, I'm lying on the floor. How's that breakthrough, you know? Yeah, okay, I want, I want breakthrough in relationship. I've, I've, I've responded to you, God, and you've just 
flick me on the floor. You know, that's not breakthrough, is it? That's just like lying on the floor. So I started to have these thoughts anyway. And, and God said to me, I just feel, I felt him touch me. Okay, I felt him touch me. And he just said, it's all about relationship. And that's all he said. It's all about relationship. And you know when God speaks to you and it kind of doesn't impact you instantly, 100%. Well, this word impacted me at the time. It impacted me a bit more the next day, even more the next day, even more the next day. Uh, right up until now, it's just impacting me and impacting me. Yeah. Probably because it's easy to remember, you know, four words. But also because... I can see how it applies to everything. It's all about relationship. Now, I've been studying and, and learning myself about these gaps that I'm identifying, you know, a gap between my identity and actually how I walk that, a gap between, you know, um, we, we sing about um, an open heaven, heaven to earth, but actually when you look around, if this is heaven, it's a bit rubbish. You know, gaps between my, my kind of the way my mind works and what I sing about. I'm just seeing gaps all the time. And God's saying to me, the only way, the only way to close those gaps is, is relationship. It's not about me having more roles as a Christian. It's not about um, me reading certain books, even the Bible. The only way I can, I can close those gaps that I'm seeing is through relationship. Ooh. So there's, there's my revelation. I even saw, you know, when Peter spoke a couple of weeks ago and he, he mentioned fairly controversial um, point that, that Jesus could not perform miracles and healings for 30 years. He couldn't. Not that he chose not to, but that he couldn't. And then he got the Holy Spirit. And there's that, there's that verse in Mark where it says that when, when Jesus was being baptized with other people, but when Jesus came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended uh, from a split, a torn heaven. The heaven was torn, or the skies were torn, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. From that moment on, everything changed, didn't it? Everything changed. When you read in the Gospels what happened before and what happened after, it is chalk and cheese. It is profoundly different. So I've been struggling with that. You know, Jesus couldn't. He couldn't. Um, and it's this mystical, mystical thing that we, we, we don't understand and perhaps we never will because it's mystical, um, that that Jesus was 100% man. You know, that is, that is really hard for us to grasp because we also know he's 100% God. In that time, those 30 years, I'm starting to see that there was also a gap between Jesus and God. And the gap was, was um, abolished, closed, when Jesus received the Holy Spirit. 
see, Jesus was demonstrating what it is to be a man by being a man. He wasn't, he wasn't a really good actor. Do, do you know what I mean? He wasn't pretending. He wasn't kind of dumbing it down for, for all of mankind. And then our gap between us and God was closed in a similar way at Pentecost. When we received, I say we, you know, the, all the people there, uh, but from forever after us received the Holy Spirit, that gap was, was closed, wasn't it? You know, I will send you a helper, and he did, and we've got that helper. Part of my frustration in life is the gap between what I really believe and I really feel inside and my passion and my vision and my desire and actually what happens when I, for example, set foot out of that building and what happens when, you know, I walk across the road and, I don't know, step in some kebab litter or, you know, worse or have an argument five minutes after being blessed. Um, you know, it, it, it's frustrating, isn't it? It's frustrating because you feel like you're back to square one. I know, though, that that's not true. You know, square one, if square one is um, that gap between us and God again, we're not back to square one every time we step in some dog poo or whatever, you know, or every time we swear or every time we... Um, have a lustful thought. We're not back to square one. That's a deception. And I'm learning that as well. And that's massively, it's a massive relief. Um, let me give you an example of this. Um, okay. For quite a few years in my Christian life, and quite a few years ago, I had something in me that was really hard. Um, it was like a, it was almost like it followed my spine, but I knew it was kind of in the middle of my chest. It felt like it, it felt like you know when we describe how we feel in our hearts, it's very rarely this kind of this thing here that's beating. We, we really mean our our core, don't we? Our core, our very substance. That's where the hardness was. So it wasn't like I had this heart that was made of stone. You know, a heart's kind of over there. It was right down the middle of me. And I, I knew about it, and I was aware of it. I was conscious of it. And, and it, it distressed me because I could never quite give of myself. I could never quite completely open up. I could never quite commit to something with 100% passion. You know, I was always a bit, kind of just a bit... Mm. And I knew that it was because of this core, and it, 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 even, it even had substance when I saw it. It was metal, and it was, it was tapered at each end. It was about that long, and I just felt it inside me all the time. Now, I used to go for prayer occasionally and respond to, to you know, altar calls or whatever, and I used to tell people about it, and nobody really understood. I could tell because they would either just do a bland kind of, you know, I'll do a coverall prayer, you know, bless, just bless him, make him fall down or go, you know, that type of prayer. <laughs> or <laughs> or they, they would just basically say, I'm, I'm not really sure what you're talking about. Um, in a Christian way, though, you know, bless you, brother. Um, and that's frustrating, too, 
You know, how many of us here have been for prayer about something specific and the person ministering to us hasn't really got it? Of course it's not their fault, you know. Of course it's not their fault, but it's frustrating, isn't it? Isn't it? So I have this invisible thing that's visible to me and I can't describe it very well to people. So I had it for years. But it's gone now. Yeah. It's, the only way I know it's gone is because it's not there anymore. In that, when I look inside myself, and now I know that I was seeing in the spirit, when I look inside myself in the spirit, it's not there. There's not a trace of it. This is the disappointing thing, though, because that's the reality, that's the truth. But every so often, I, I realize that I'm becoming a bit withdrawn again, or a bit hardened, or a bit clenched, yeah. you know? And I feel that my heart should be an open hand, but it's become a fist again, you know? And I just feel that. The deception is to think, I'm back to square one, you know? Perhaps it never went in the first place. Has anyone ever felt that about inner healing or, or actual healing? Perhaps it never went in the first place. I had, in my, in my house, I had an occupant that didn't belong there. In my house, uh, something had taken residence that didn't belong there, but it lived there. It lived there. Whether I welcomed it or not, it lived there. That has been evicted, all right? That's been evicted, um, but every so often, maybe it just drives by the house, winds the window down and shouts abuse at me. That's different. That's different to moving back in, isn't it? So when you, when you have been touched profoundly, you know, we sang today, just one touch from the king changes everything. When you've been touched like that, don't be dismayed or disheartened when you get traces of it sometime later. It's just driving past your house and shout. It's like a drive-by shooting, you know, rather than somebody actually breaking in. I don't know where this analogy is going. Yeah, but I'm just trying to make my sermon more gangster. <laughs> it's just driving past. It's a deception to believe and accept that you were never healed in the first place. I know this because it's happened to me, okay? In my heart, in my very core, I am now different for the better. Yeah? <laughs> so... When I get discouraged about my, my withdrawal, my, my hard-heartedness, I know it's not, it's not metal. You know, it's not metal. It's just, I've just become a little bit clenched, if you know what I mean. A little bit clenched. You know, my heart has become a fist again. And all I need to do really is just that. In fact, make a fist with your hand. Make a fist with your hand. Yeah? The only reason to make a fist is if you want, really want to hold on to something, isn't it? Or you really want somebody to get out of your face, you know? So it's either an attack or a defense. And sometimes my heart becomes like that. So instead of being like this, you know, when we're like this, when, when I pray like this, I'm saying to God, just take everything or anything, you know? And when God reaches his hands out to us, he's saying, you can have everything and anything of me. You know, that's the opposite to this. How many times have you ever prayed like this? <laughs> you know, it just, we don't, do we? 
we don't clench our fists and pray. And it's because we're not saying to God, you come one step closer, or we're not saying to God, don't you dare take anything off me, you know? If I ministered to somebody who has stood like that, I would kind of think, hmm, you know, maybe we need to work on this a bit before I could pray for them, <laughs> you know? So my heart becomes like that sometimes. But God's showing me, and he's shown me all this week, that I make my heart like that when I become consumed with life and consumed with my roles in life. Even as a husband, I kind of follow the job description. Even as a Christian, I kind of think, okay, 10 bullet points, this is how you need to be as a Christian. I kind of follow it from time to time, and it it makes my heart go like this. I, I kind of, you know, there's an expression, make a fist of it. And that's what I do with my heart. You know, it's like, right, this needs to be done. You know, this Christian thing, I need to do it. I'm going to make a fist of it. That's not how to be a Christian. And you know what's missing? And this is what I'm learning this week. What's missing when we, when we approach being a husband like this, okay, yes, I know exactly what to do cup of tea at seven o'clock in the morning and then from then on a list of when we approach relationship like that it's not relationship we're we're doing a role instead of doing relationship and God is showing me that even my Christian roles even my husband roles two massively precious things to me arguably the most precious things to me I'm starting to, I say starting to, over the past 23 years, <laughs> I'm starting to treat it like a role. I'm really good at it. <laughs> I'm really good at it. You know, give me a list. Give me, give me some instructions of, of exactly how to be a really good husband or a really good Christian. I'm pretty sure I can follow it most of the time. But how, how far away from a relationship is that? But that's what my heart does. And I hate it. <laughs> I really hate it. And my lovely wife, Beth, we've been married for 23 and a bit years. You do remember. <laughs> we've been married for a long time. And there have been countless times where Beth has, in her loving way, has just brought me back to a place of relationship. Uh, and, um, and that's what God's doing this week. In his own calm, quiet, loving way, he's bringing me back to a place of relationship. And there are such parallels those of you who are in a, in a relationship with somebody you love, there are such parallels, aren't there, between that and your relationship with God. And I've seen that when one of them suffers, the other one suffers as well. And I'm still learning this. See, what God's showing me is that I need to be less proactive and more responsive. I always thought proactive was, was just about the best you could be. Proactive, I'm ready, I'm ready. I'm proactive. In my job, I am so proactive. 
You know, I was just saying to somebody before, I've got, my, I've got my diary, my calendar sorted until February. I'm fully booked, you know, proactive. I can't be responsive if I'm 100% proactive because I've got everything mapped out and planned, okay? I need to be both in my job, actually. I need to be both in my relationships. But God's showing me that this is proactive and this is responsive. The clenched fist of my heart is proactive. I'm ready, you know. Just give me the job and I'll do it. But the open hand of my heart is responsive. I need to be flexible like that, you know. Show me your hand, open hand. Give me an open hand. Now clench your fist. Feels so different, doesn't it? Yeah? And that's absolutely how my heart feels. God's showing me that it needs to be the other way around, though. So I'm learning to be more responsive. And this week I've been so responsive in response to being taught how to be responsive. <laughs> I've, uh, I've been to... Now, going to meetings is not building relationships. Please hear me. You know, we don't build relationships by going, attending more meetings. But I've been to a few meetings this week. That's not the answer. However, there were opportunities to be responsive in those meetings and they were absolutely for me. God talked to me again on Monday, the day after I was lying on that floor. <laughs> and I went to um, the meeting at Pastor Banjo's church where Ken got. Have you ever seen Alan Shearer on Match of the Day? I reckon in 10 years' time, Alan Shearer will look exactly like Ken Gott. Anyway, that's just an aside. I'll just leave that with you. I went to that meeting. <laughs> I went to that meeting, and there was, a, there was an appeal. You know what? I was responding before I even knew what, what the, the reason was. That's, you know, that's responsive, isn't it? Um, so I, I stand in the most space possible because you had to stand somewhere in some space so people could see that you were responding. So I'm like, right, okay, about here, yeah. You know, I'm even lifting my hands, not because I'm worshipping you, God. I just want people to, you know, it's more like, come on. And I, I had my eyes shut. I, I was actually worshipping. And um, in the spirit, I knew somebody was making a beeline for me. I didn't hear them. I didn't see them. I just knew they were coming. And they didn't even get to me. And I just went whoosh, down on the floor. But this time, it was different. I started vibrating, like a vibrating thing. Um, <laughs> And I was on the floor vibrating, and again, my human mind started to think, what's that about? This is a bit stupid, you know. I've responded, but actually, in a, in a very polite way, Lord, is that the best you can do? God is impressing upon me that actually, that's nothing to do with what he can do. That's all to do with how I respond, <laughs> you know. It's not really him. He hasn't got a list of, okay, I'm going to do the vibrating thing. <laughs> That's not God. God said to me two words when I was down on the floor that time. So I, I start with my mind again. You know, I'm thinking, um, is it time to get up yet? Have I done with the vibrating thing? And I'm starting to think all these things. And God, I felt, feel God put his arm around me. And, and I think this is significant. He didn't put his arm around me. I'm lying on the floor. So the best way to put your arm around somebody on the floor is over them. He put his arm under me. And that's, in a way, a more intimate thing. Also, it's a bit of a sacrifice, isn't it? If you've ever cuddled or spooned somebody in bed, 
it's that thing of putting your arm under them and you think like, okay, this is all very well now, but in 10 minutes time, it's like, you know, I'm gonna try and get it back before you go to sleep. It's that sort of intimacy. So God puts his arm around me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, he puts his arm around me that way. And I know it's that way. And he says to me, all the while I'm thinking about how weird it is to vibrate on the floor in front of a bunch of strangers. And, you know, why are you doing this, Lord? What are you trying to show me? What are you trying to tell me? You know, um, he puts his arm around me and he speaks two words to me. He says, I'm normal. I'm normal. And again, I don't really appreciate that at the time. I even doubted it was God saying it, you know. Um, it's not a normal thing for God to say, I don't think. But it's stuck in my head and it's stuck in my heart. And over the past few days, I've been seeing that what God is saying is, I think he's saying I am, yeah? But in a very kind of 21st century way. And I think he's saying that I am not um, a progression of experiences. I am not um, kind of a Richter scale. I am not um, something that you graduate to. I'm not yellow belt, green belt, orange belt. You know, I am every day. I am everywhere. I am everything. I am normal. I am part of your daily experience. Don't try and get me to crank it up a notch. You know, even don't write songs about stuff you want me to do and then you would run a mile if I did anything like it. I am normal, you know, I am normal. I want relationships with normal people. Do, do, does that make sense? I don't mean kind of ordinary in a boring way. I just mean like real and, you know, not, nothing too kind of hoity-toity or whatever. God is saying, you know, I'm normal, I'm normal, I'm normal. And it's blowing my mind. It's blowing my mind. Okay, I'm going to finish. I've been yakking on for ages. I want you to stand. And I'm going to read that passage from Hebrews 13, just to kind of prove that I am preaching about Hebrews. <laughs> but, you know, there's a prayer there. Um, so if the... Yeah. I want you to read it as well. We're going to read this together. And we're going to end with a triumphant yes. So, may God, who puts all things together, makes all things whole, who made a lasting mark through the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice of blood that sealed the eternal covenant, who led Jesus, our great shepherd, up and alive from the dead, now put you together, provide you with everything you need to please him. Make us into what gives him most pleasure by means of the sacrifice of Jesus, the Messiah. All glory to Jesus forever and always. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Amen.